The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium melody gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. This week, we've got a spooky double feature. There's a murder in a grand old mansion. A sweet little bit of pumpkin carving between a man and his grandson. It's October, and our month of spookiness begins now. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and welcome to October. Yes, the one time each year when we put aside the unremitting horror of the real world and try to soak up as much fictional horror as we can. As you all may know, I I frighten super easily. I I believe the technical term for what I am is a squishous, but because we love you all very much, and because Matt insisted, and because it is tradition and stuff, it's a spooky time. So, we have a double feature up today. First, Alex Aldea's newest show from the Paragon Collective, Deadly Manners, narrated by LeVar Burton of Star Trek and Reading Rainbow fame, and starring Kristen Bell from Veronica Mars and Frozen, and Anna Klumsky from Veep. This brings our Frozen-related actors referenced on this program to two in a row, because last week we were talking about Jonathan Groff of 36 Questions, who played Kristoff in that film, and Kristen Bell played Anna in Frozen. If the name Alex Aldea sounds familiar to you, it's because we played some of his last show, Darkest Night, and ran an interview with him just a few months ago, back in August. No interview with him this week, just the first episode of this new program, a mid-century murder mystery pastiche called Deadly Manners. The second thing we're playing is a piece called The Rites of Autumn by John Ballantyne's Campfire Radio Theater, a piece about an old man and his grandson carving pumpkins and learning about the family business. We've played Campfire Radio Theater's plays here before on RDR, and that name, to me, is synonymous with quality and absolute terror. More on that after our first feature. First, Deadly Manners. I agreed to play this piece sight unseen because of the cast, because it was so exciting to hear that Alex was getting these big names again. His Darkest Night was narrated by Lee Pace of Pushing Daisies and Halt and Catch Fire. The show itself takes the form of an Agatha Christie-style locked house murder mystery. It's written very broadly. The characters are archetypes, and most of them are pretty horrible people. I found myself wishing that more of them would die, and I expect not to be disappointed, knowing Alex. It's a pastiche of 1950s fiction, but with deliberate attention paid to period-appropriate racism, misogyny, and red-baiting. Consider this your content warning. So, here we go. Here's episode one of Deadly Manners. It was the winter of 1954, and the annual dinner gala at the Billings Estate was packed with politicians, philanthropists, people of all enormous wealth and status. Par for the course, of course. This event was the brainchild of Veronica Billings. (coughs) A blue blood by birth, but she swore it ran green. Welcome, welcome. 
Welcome, welcome to our home, everyone. It is that time of year again where we all gather and celebrate the blessing that is life. My wallet seems to think that time comes more than once a year. <laughs> Bill Billings wasn't much for public fanfare, but he always played his part. He raised his glass in acknowledgement, but immediately left the spotlight of attention his wife had garnered. And of course, my husband William, whom you all know, and I hope love as much as I do. Well, maybe not as much. I mean, we are married after all. <laughs> Olivia? Olivia, darling, where are you? Olivia Billings was Veronica and William's adopted daughter. A young Veronica had plucked her from her impoverished land of Liberia when she was just a child. She cared not about the laws of her own segregated country, for the wealthy had their own segregation. Only things that truly separated their kind from the others were commas and zeros. Here, Mama. Come forward, won't you? <laughs> a shy Billings. I could swear you weren't even mine. I'm not. Like her father, Olivia did not enjoy the spotlight as much, at least not when she had to share it with her mother. For those of you who are joining us for the first time tonight, this is my daughter, Olivia. I saved her from a life of nothing. Isn't that grand? <laughs> Olivia smiled with gratitude, or tried to at least. Now, everyone, eat, drink, and keep the party going. <laughs> Veronica schmoozed her way across the room, greeting guests with endless effervescence. Madam. Heavens! You know, you mustn't sneak up on me like that. My mistake. The chef wanted to know when the main course should be circulated, as you had not determined the time prior. George. The ever-faithful butler had a knack for appearing when he was least expected. A rather exasperating talent. Oh, you know scheduling takes all the fun out of it. But all right, I suppose eight o'clock is sufficient and make sure the aperitif is served immediately before. Of course, madam. I will ring for the maid and have her clean this up. Again, my apologies for startling you so. The maid. Beatrice entered the room, and all eyes instantly fell on her. She was young and effortlessly beautiful. Two things Veronica clung to with every ounce of her being. She quickly made her way to the broken glass and began sweeping up the mess. Make sure you get every last piece. Of course, ma'am. Veronica glared sharply, giving the shards of glass a run for its money. And what did I tell you about calling me ma'am? My apologies. Veronica sauntered away to the other guests who demanded her presence. The maid watched her go, briefly connecting eyes across the room with Olivia, who glared at her pitifully. Joseph and Esther Feinstein, my most trusted benefactors. I'm so glad you could make it. Well, you know, it wasn't easy with this awful snowstorm coming. I mean, the radio said we're due for four. Inches. Can you believe that? Esther, enough about the weather. I had to hear about it the entire drive here. Now, now, let's not grab at each other's throats like that. 
We're all just here to have a good time, right? Speaking of here, where is Senator Clark? And you tell me not to start. I have some ideas, that's all. Okay, I, I don't see what the big deal is about talking shop with a powerful man. He's trying to change the property taxes so he stops losing money on his terrible building investment. They're not terrible. I'm being robbed by the government. A few individuals in particular. I'm almost certain of it. I have names, I think. I didn't realize I married Joseph McCarthy. Don't even joke like that. My husband is still a bit sensitive about the whole communist business. Veronica scanned the room for her husband. She spotted him across the way amidst a small crowd being greatly entertained by their hired magician. Pick a card, any card. William pulled a card from the deck. It was the Jack of Diamonds. Now put it back in the deck, face down. Don't let me see it. William did just so. Is this your card? No, sir. He put it face down on the table and pulled another. How about this? <laughs> Wrong again. Enrique put that one face down as well and pulled a third card. This? William shook his head. Enrique put the third card face down in front of him. Hmm. Well, sir, if none of those three cards were yours, then explain this. Enrique flipped over the three face-down cards to reveal three Jack of Diamonds. Oh, my goodness. A triumph. Truly outstanding. Enrique bowed fantastically, soaking up the sounds of pleasure he craved so desperately from his audience. A trick deck for a tricky man. Nothing exceptionally magical about that. Oh, don't be rude, Olivia. It's unbecoming. Olivia rolled her eyes, sipping at her drink in disdain. <sighs> I'm going upstairs. Veronica noticed her daughter's hasty exit and approached her husband. Now what was that all about? Champagne problems. What? What's wrong with the champagne? No, sweetie. I simply mean she's being a teenager. You know how it can be. You were that young once. His eyes drifted over to where the maid was clearing out a row of down drinks. Veronica noticed. Yes, well, time passes for us all. The snow had started its earthly assault. Chunks of white colliding with the ground like frosty missiles. See? I told you it was gonna be bad. Now, how are we supposed to get home? Maybe we should leave now. You know Veronica would never allow that. Besides, we haven't even had dinner yet. Perhaps it'll subside by then. All right. Will you hold my drink? I'm off to the restroom. Attention! Attention, everyone! As you may have noticed, there is a bit of a storm raging around us. Rest assured, should roads become undrivable, you are all welcome to stay here until it lets up. We have plenty of space, plenty of heat, and I can't afford to have anything happen to any of you. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Perhaps I should go grab some candles, just in case. Veronica left, and the guests chattered on. Forks feeding into hungry mouths, plates being scraped, glasses clinking together. The sound of a soft piano. It was a lavish affair, and everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves. Until... 
the power went out completely. Where's the light? This isn't good. Turn the power back on. And then... What was that sound? Was that a gunshot? Could it be? <laughs> when the lights came on, a shriek was heard from a nearby room. In the billiards room, everyone found an astonished Veronica standing over the dead, bleeding body of the formerly fabulous Enrique Ensemble. A bullet hole through his head, a silver pistol on the ground beside him. William rushed to his wife's side. What the hell happened here? Looks like he made his life disappear. A suicide? Maybe it's another trick. Oh, don't be so crass, Olivia. A man is dead. Oh, dear, and on my Parisian rug. How cruel. Madam. A shaken Veronica clutched her chest in fright. George! Apologies again, but it appears as though the phone lines are down. Then uh, how are we supposed to call the police? We're not, it seems. Should I take care of the... I wouldn't touch it. (gasps) Dear God! Is that... Everyone looked at where Esther was pointing. It was to the silver pistol on the floor, engraved with the letters J.F. Joseph, why is your gun on the floor? Oh, Joseph patted his pockets in disbelief while Esther grabbed the gun. I have no idea. Please tell me you didn't do this. Of course not. I was in the restroom. So you say. Olivia! How did this man get your gun? Maybe he didn't. Olivia. What? This party was so boring until now. Boring? Well, he was a magician. You know, he could have easily taken it from my pocket. Joseph felt the prying eyes of a curious crowd. His wife backed away from him. Esther, please. I think I need to lie down. Excuse me. Esther! He went to go after her, but William stopped him. What what are you doing? Let me go! Just calm down, Joe. You can't be serious. You can't possibly think that I had anything to do with this. Clearly she does. To your room, Olivia. Now. Perhaps you should stay in here for now, Joseph. Uh, Just until the police come. I always knew you couldn't trust his kind. Prominent politician Roger Clark sneered at the now ostracized Joseph Feinstein. His wife Nancy looked at him embarrassed. Roger, don't start. It's bad enough the world of politics is filled with scandal and now this Jew is bringing chaos to what was supposed to be a perfectly wonderful evening. We don't know what happened or why. And attacking a man for his religious beliefs will not be tolerated in this house. As you can see, all kinds are accepted here. I like you, Billings. But you liberals make me sick. This guy is clearly a murderer. Should I just sit back and accept that, too? Well, I suppose that's the sound of dinner. If anyone's still hungry. Please don't go. Veronica followed the exiting crowd to the front doors of her house. 
everyone could see that the snow outside had piled halfway high up the window already. It's too dangerous to go now. So is staying in the house with a murderer. Roger tried to open the doors, but they were frozen shut. Roger, relax. Let's wait for the police to arrive. We'll sort everything out. Until then, why don't we all have some dinner? At least try to enjoy what's left of this night. Yes, yes, my incredible husband once again has a very good point. We don't know how long the storm is to last, and we all need to eat, so let's at least do that and try to keep ourselves busy until help arrives. Veronica gave her husband a loving kiss. Everyone looked at them adoringly, except the maid, who turned her back to the ensuing affection and aggressively attended to a nearby dusty table. The partygoers filed back into the living room where plates of food had been laid out before them. Dinner is served. Thank you, George. Of course, madam. The festive raucousness had dwindled to a low murmur, one of Veronica's worst fears. Are you all right, my dear? I don't know. This whole situation has made me feel rather ill. Keep people's spirits up. It's what you do best. We're going to be all right. Perhaps we should play a game. Would everybody like that? Ooh, yes. <laughs> How about some charades? I think that's a superb idea, Veronica. Well, why don't I go first? I'll act something out and you all try to guess what it is. Ready? <clears throat> Two words. A person. Veronica nodded, then grabbed an ornate black candlestick holder from the mantel. Baseball player? Hmm, don't really know many sports players. Honey? <sighs> Yogi Berra. Mickey Mantle? Hank Aaron? Nellie Fox? Veronica saw Olivia lurking around the doorway. She grabbed her and pulled her over so that she was front and center. Veronica pointed to her daughter's skin, then made the swinging motion again. Ah, Jackie Robinson. Oh, good. That was so fun. For who? Olivia yanked her arm away from her mother. Now, Olivia. And you can't use props of any kind. Someone else take a turn. I should check on our Esther. On the other side of the room, Roger chatted up the maid who was trying to clear some of the empty plates. Well, aren't you just the sweetest little thing? You must be horrified by this whole ordeal. He fingered the frills of her uniform. The maid evaded his unwelcome touch. Perhaps, sir, you should console your wife. Oh, come now. It's a party. I'm a powerful man. Isn't there something you want? Certainly but not from you. You're making a mistake. We'll see about that. The maid yanked herself free and fled, but not before being spotted by Roger's wife, Nancy, who witnessed the entire thing as she flawlessly acted out her charades. Esther, are you all right? You should eat something, darling. How am I supposed to eat when my husband could be a killer? You don't know that yet. Doesn't mean it isn't true. 
You know, I always had a feeling about him. He was always very secretive with his business dealings. He could have been up to anything. Could have been worse, couldn't it? He could have been the one who died. I'd almost prefer it. You're just shaken up. Regardless, you still need to take care of yourself. Come, let's go downstairs and rejoin the party. You go ahead. I need a few more minutes. Veronica gave her a quick hug and made her exit. The party seemed to be ramping up again. People desperate to forget that only a few feet away lie a dead man locked in a room with his supposed killer. Veronica scanned the room, pleased that her night was not yet completely lost. In a few moments, the butler will come by with more cocktails. Please, everyone, help yourselves and let him know if you need anything else. Veronica rejoined her husband, who sat at their grand piano playing a jaunty tune. Keeping the spirits up, too, I see. I may not love these parties of yours, but I do love you. And it pains me to see you so upset. What are we going to do? What if we're snowed in for days? The body will certainly start to smell. Oh, what an awful smell that would be. And Joseph, what are we to do about him? You don't think he actually did it, do you? As much as I don't want to believe he's capable of such a thing, people always have ways of surprising you. Oh, just keep thinking about poor Esther. What will become of her? Esther is strong and resilient, just like you. No matter what happens, she will be fine. And so will we. I do hope you're right. Oh, no! Veronica noticed a significantly drunker Roger harassing a freshly emerged Esther. Despicable! That's what you are. A bunch of Christ killers. No wonder you murder. It's in your blood. Mr. Clark, I find your comments reprehensible and I... I don't give a shit what you find. You and all your people can go to hell for all I care. Jewish people don't believe in hell. Oh, good. The Moor has something to say. Speak up, child, unless you want a whipping from your massa. Now that is enough of that. Don't you dare speak to my daughter that way. Don't you know who I am? I'm the most powerful man in this room. I could buy and sell all of you at the drop of a hat. William quickly rushed to Roger and escorted him away. Let's go take a breather, shall we? I'm so sorry, Olivia. Are you all right? I hate your friends. Sorry, everyone. The the storm is truly wreaking havoc on our electrical system. Uh, Let me make sure we're on course for dessert. Veronica left. A few moments later, the power went out again. Everyone kept talking and carrying on, knowing that it was all they could do. When the lights finally came back on, Veronica had returned. Esther, I know you're upset, but... We do have to at least feed your husband. Do we? I'll come with you. And don't worry, there's nothing to be afraid of. After all, you're the one with the gun now, aren't you? (sighs) You're right. Let's go. The two women grabbed a plate of food and went to the room where Joseph Feinstein was quartered off. Veronica grabbed the key from the dresser. (laughs) 
A familiar, ornate black candlestick holder covered in blood laid next to the now-dead body of Joseph Feinstein. Who did the murders? Find out by subscribing to Deadly Manners out now on Apple Podcasts. And now, Rites of Autumn is a gruesome tale of family, tradition, and pumpkin carving. There are some excellent performances here, like Joe Stofko's grandpa character, but especially James Hicklin, the grandson, who is just really goddamn good. Listen for some radio drama revival favorites in here, like Tanya Maloyevich and Rich Wentworth. You'll know them when you hear them. Without further prologue, here's Rites of Autumn. Welcome, friend. Have a seat by the fire. Make yourself comfortable. Slicing and peeling as a skilled surgeon into bare flesh, he labored as he had many times before until the task was done. Fresh innards shoved aside, ripe guts removed. It was the annual fall ritual. Now there was but one job remaining. Carving ever so carefully, he admired the work before him, an art form perfected. And the hollow face leered back and began to smile broadly, even as the blade dug ever deeper and deeper. You're listening to Campfire Radio Theatre. Tonight we kick off our ode to the coveted haunting season with a tale harvested from the mind of John Ballantyne. So button tight that sweater, make certain your work is done, and brace yourself for an audio chill we call Rites of Autumn. Ghoulish Gary Chesterton here in the laboratory bringing you Devilish Delinquents, your nightly dose of spooky hits. Plenty of fresh meat on the slab for tonight, kids. And you can take that all the way to the bank. The blood bank. <laughs> Let's fire it up, Eagle. Hello. Hi, honey. Are you having a fun time at Grandpa's? Uh-huh. So what are you doing? I'm just getting ready for Halloween. Oh, so you're helping out, huh? Yep, we're carving pumpkins. Oh, wow. Carving pumpkins. Yeah, hey, can you get me a costume? I thought you weren't up for trick-or-treating this year. Isn't that what you told me? I know. I changed my mind. Okay, we'll see. There's a few errands Mommy needs to run, and then I'll pick you up later, okay? I hope it's not too late to find something you want. Doesn't matter. Just something kind of scary. That should not be an issue. It's the most scary time of the year. <laughs> but we need to be careful. We don't want to give a certain little boy bad dreams. I don't have the nightmares anymore, Mom. I know. You're doing a whole lot better, sweetie. You remember what we talked about. You remember what Mommy said. 
There's no such thing as monsters. <sighs> That's right. Uh, I, uh, look, I gotta go. So tell Grandpa I'll be by in just a bit, and make sure and behave, okay? I will. Bye, Mom. Bye, honey. I love you. Hey, who was it, Kyle? Just Mom. Yeah, I guess she'll be coming for you soon. Well, I suppose I can still show you the fine art of pumpkin carving in just a few easy steps. Uh, here, have a seat next to me, young fella. It's a discipline, you know. It requires concentration, a steady hand, and a sharp knife. You know, Kyle, certain skills get passed down from uh, one generation to the next. Like carving pumpkins? Exactly, son. <laughs> like carving pumpkins. I remember when I was a boy just about your age. This was a special time of year. But uh, things are different now. Different? More distractions these days. You've got video games and electronic toys... 24-hour TV and a gazillion channels. <laughs> right back then, there was just you and the outdoors uh, and uh, imagination. Oh, yeah? What kind of things did you do? Oh, well, we had corn mazes and fall festivals, folks dressed up in sheets and <laughs> silly little outfits, whatever they could throw together. You know, we used to bob for apples this time of year. The world was a simpler place. Doesn't sound like much fun. Oh, but it was. It was a golden time. You'll recall your youth one day and feel the same way. Really? Well, certainly you will. This season, well, it still has a certain charm. A certain magic, I guess. Don't you feel it? Nah. Sure you do. Uh, take a deep breath. Smell that crispness in the air. Feel it in the pores of your skin. The color of the trees. I guess you always wish there was more time to savor those things. Are you okay? Fine, son. Just fine. <clears throat> so, uh, well, tell me about uh, these dreams you have. The nightmares you were talking about earlier. Do I have to? You always helped when I was a boy. It uh, helped to talk about them. You had nightmares? Oh, yes indeed, Kyle. Terrible nightmares. Things that tore me apart on the inside gave me a bad feeling, really bad. But you see, I was uh, lucky. I had a friend to talk to. A friend? Sure. My best friend, in fact. I called him Larry. He told me what to do to feel better. You see, uh, I got picked on in school. Kids were mean. We moved around a lot. I was always a new kid in town. Didn't fit in. I was an easy target for those little bastards. That's a bad word, Grandpa. Oh, yes, it is, Kyle, and don't you repeat it. Well, let me tell you something funny about my friend Larry, though. No matter where we moved to, Larry was there. And what's more, Larry knew how to make the nightmares go away. How did he do that? 
Larry was real smart, you see. He knew that I needed a purpose, a mission. Larry introduced me to the work. Work? Like a job? Eh, no, son. Uh, the work is... Uh, it's hard to explain, really. It's like a therapy of sorts. Uh, an outlet for those bad feelings, the nasty impulses. Larry showed me how pouring those emotions into the work could drive the bad dreams away. Those nightmares. The nights of restless sleep. It all went away. Was Larry real? Like a real person? More real than any friend uh, I've ever had. He taught me things. Larry was, uh, well, he was very wise. What happened to him? Larry, I mean. And we grew apart as I got older. Drifted. Didn't see him much anymore. I suppose he had, uh, well, I suppose he had taught me everything I needed to know. Sorry to interrupt. I'm selling tickets to the church carnival coming up tonight. Would you like to go? Well, I, I don't know. It, let me see your flyer there. They're doing a trick-or-treat down the main street, a haunted hayride through the Whisper Meadow, and there's, like, a raffle for a laptop. Surround, sound, stereo, fresh-baked goods, cookies, lots of cool stuff. It's only $2 per ticket. Well, that sounds like a good time, doesn't it, Kyle? Sure, I guess. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. A good old-fashioned Halloween carnival. You don't use the word Halloween, because I guess it, like, offends some people. Eh. That's why it just says Fall Carnival on the flyer. Of all the... Whoever heard of such foolishness? Yeah, I know. It's kind of silly. I'll take four tickets. My wallet's in the house. Uh, Let me grab you some cash, dear. Uh, Stay right here. Do you know if the neighbors are home? I rang the bell and nobody answered. I don't think so. Do your parents go to Bethel Baptist? No, we just moved back to town. You guys should join us. We've got a lot of kids your age. Good-sized youth ministry. It's really cool. So, this is your grandpa's house. Yep. (laughs) Carving pumpkins, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that one looks scary. It's not that scary. I mean, well, it's not like a monster or something. (laughs) No such thing as monsters, right? That's what Mom says. There's no such thing as monsters. Hey, better be careful with that knife. It's, like, pretty sharp. (laughs) What was your name, dear? Carrie. Carrie. Such a lovely name. My folks live over in Brookhaven. Would you mind stepping into the house for a second, Carrie? Well... I've got an item that might be perfect for the carnival this evening. I really gotta be going. Of course. Still have a ton of tickets to sell. This'll just take a second. Now, I've got your money in here on the counter. Okay. Sure. It was really nice meeting you two. Step this way. It's in the next room. Is everything okay?
哥。Darn old doors lock themselves sometimes. I heard a scream. <laughs> a scream? <laughs> oh, that! Oh, just having a little fun. Couldn't resist, you know. Guess it's the season we're in. What do you mean? We didn't realize the young lady would scare so easily. I hope she'll forgive me. Oh, you should have seen her face, Kyle. You see, she went to pick up her money off the table there, and、uh, as she did. Oh, I slipped on this old rubber mask. Well, she turned around, and I guess I must have given her one heck of a fright. <laughs> I don't believe she touched the floor twice on her way out the back door. She's gone. Shame, really. Such a sweet girl. Some folks spook easy. Hard to believe in this age. Well, young man, I'm going to grab our jack o' lantern so we can finish up. On the kitchen table. Sure is a nip in the air out here today. Starting to feel the season in my bones. Smelled something. Kyle, now you know I've told you to never open that door. The cellar is off limits to little boys. I know, but those stairs are rickety. You might break your neck going down there. It smells like something's burning. Well, that's just the jack-o'-lanterns. Lighted a few earlier while I was hauling up decorations. Now close that door and come have a seat at the table. That's a good boy. Now, let's see. Where were we? You look kind of pale. I just get a little winded these days. Not quite as spry as I once was. And the truth is, son, this old man—well, he won't be around much longer. Why? Yeah, Grandpa is sick. I have a terminal illness. Do you know what that means? I'm not sure. I'm dying, son. May not see another autumn, May- another Halloween. Maybe, can't you go to the doctor?、Oh, nothing more a doctor can do for me now, Kyle. There's a tumor growing inside my brain. I'll get weaker as time passes. Grow sick. Soon I won't be able to get out of bed or use a damn toilet by myself. Bad word, Grandpa. Soon I won't even be able to talk. That's why this moment with you is vital. I want to pass on some things before I go. My knowledge, things like、uh, how to make pumpkins into jack o' lanterns. <laughs> exactly, my boy. Exactly. I'm really sorry that you're sick. Well, and no use of dwelling on such things. Let's talk about something more cheerful. Well, I'm ready to carve the eyes. Ah, yes. 
Take great care at this stage. The eyes will reveal the nature of your creation. Careful. Careful with the blade. You asked me about Larry earlier. You asked me what happened to him. I told you we don't talk much anymore. Well, that's not entirely true. You see, uh, we talk once a year. We talk before almost every Halloween. It's our tradition. Why just Halloween? Well, because that's when the dreams return. The bad dreams. The monsters. You talk to Larry about them? That's right. And we talk about the work. How do you do the work? Sometimes, Kyle. One must do things, terrible, terrible things, in, in order to chase away nightmares. I know it's difficult to understand, but you're still a young man. But one night, when the world lies silent around you, silent as a tomb, you'll hear a voice speak to you. It'll call your name. Now don't be afraid, because this voice is your friend, and it'll tell you what must be done. It'll tell you of the work. And suddenly, all will be made clear. I'm not afraid, Grandpa. I know, my boy. There's no reason to be. So what do I do with the seeds? What's that? The seeds from the pumpkin. Ah, the seeds. Well, you hold on to them. Let them dry. Now plant them, and you may just have your own pumpkin patch this time next year. Awesome! Well, looks like your mother is here. Yep, that's her coming to the front door now. Uh, say, why don't you go let her in? Okay. And uh, Kyle, remember what I told you? Remember what I said. Wow. What do you have all over your shirt? Pumpkin guts. For heaven's sake. We need to clean you up before we head home. You are not getting in my car like that. Pumpkin guts. Ugh. So who was that I saw you talking to at the kitchen table? That's my other grandpa. Your other grandpa? He's from Daddy's side of the family. Your grandpa Jay? Uh Uh-huh. Grandpa Jay. Sweetie, your Grandpa Jay died before you were born. Mom, just ask him. Dad? He's right in there. Dad! Kyle, there's nobody in here. Where's your Grandpa? Your real Grandpa? Oh, he's not here. Grandpa Jay said he went out for a while. Kyle, that wasn't your Grandpa Jay. Is anybody here? Dad? Dad? This place is a complete mess. Oh my god. What's that? What's that smell? Oh, it smells like something's burning. It's the jack o' lanterns. What? The jack-o'-lanterns. Why are they down in the cellar? Kyle, why are there jack-o'-lanterns lit in the cellar? For 
God's sake, the whole house could go up in flames. What the hell is this? What is it, Mom? Don't come down here, Kyle. Shocking and gruesome discovery in Pleasant Heights today as nine bodies were recovered from the basement of a home in the otherwise tranquil subdivision. Details are still emerging, but a neighboring family and a teen girl, as well as the elderly homeowner, are believed to be among the victims, some of whom were reportedly decapitated in bizarre ritual-like fashion. Human skulls were found in the cellar of the home, and quoting one officer on the scene, they were lit like jack-o'-lanterns. There are no suspects in custody, but the authorities believe the slayings are connected to the semi-annual All Hallows serial killer that has remained at large over the past three decades with identical crime scenes in at least seven neighboring states. But one night, when the world lies silent around you, silent as a tomb, You'll hear a voice speak to you. It'll call your name. Now don't be afraid, because this voice is your friend, and it'll tell you what must be done. It'll tell you of the work. You've been listening to Campfire Radio Theatre. Tonight's tale, Rites of Autumn, was written, directed, and produced by John Ballantyne. Additional voice direction by Blaine Hicklin. Horror DJ material written and performed by Rich Wentworth. Featured in the cast were Joe Stavko as Grandpa, James Hicklin as Kyle, Shelby Sessler as Carrie, Tanya Milevich as the mother, Rich Wentworth as Ghoulish Gary, and Kevin Hartnell as the news anchor. Music by Kevin Hartnell. Halloween-themed songs by Mark Turner, The Zombie Dandies, The Vivisectors, and Kevin Hartnell. Sound design by John Ballantyne. Additional sound, courtesy of Free Sound Project. Mixing and post-production by John Ballantyne. Share the horror and visit us at campfireradiotheater.com 
and on Facebook at Campfire Radio Theatre. Listen to them, the teenage rock and roll combos of the night. What terrible music they make. Kidding, kiddies. Nothing but the best for my ghouls. Ooh, what's that crawling out of the crypt? Is it the gruesome new smash hit from the plastic cadavers? Why, yes, it is. And that means it's time to do the Frankenstein frug. Igor, get down from there. Illness for Mary, who is ugly as can be. Now you'll find her buried underneath the tree. Oh, it's for Olga, who hissed like a snake. Now she's floating in the lake. They call me a monster, but I did it for love. They call me a monster, but push came to show. They call me a monster, but how can that be? They call me a monster, but just you wait and see. It is for Nora. A loud southern bell. No, she's at the bottom of the well. An S is for Sarah, who smelled like a rat. She was consumed by a pig and a cat. <laughs> they call me a monster? I did it for love. They call me a monster? <laughs> well, push came to shove. They call me a monster. Well, how can that be? They call me a monster. Well, just you wait and see. I misunderstood a really nice guy. I promise, I swear, that I never lie. You know I'm not crazy. I'm as sane as can be. I just asked my shrink who I buried in sea. T is for Tanya, who is always a bore. Most of her height underneath the floor. E is for Esther, a habitual liar. She seems to have perished in a fire. Whoops! They call me a monster. But you know I did it for love. They call me a monster. But push came to shove. They call me a monster. How can that be? They call me a monster. But just you wait and see. Now R, that's for Rudy. That's my name if you care. And tonight, I'll be riding the electric chair. But I'll come back, just you wait and see Because you're next on the list Of my killing spree <laughs> It won't be long now If the great pumpkin comes I'll still put in a good word for you Good grief I said if I meant when he comes I'm doomed Campfire Radio Theater puts out only a couple of pieces a year, but good lord, whenever they drop one, it's a doozy. Check out their archive at campfireradiotheater.podbean.com. That's theater with an E-R. Violent events in the last, like, forever have begun to recontextualize horror for me. Part of it is still escapist, sure, like a roller coaster, gut-clenching, joy-fear tingle. Look, I I told you I was a squishish. I don't really know how to classify these feelings. But in addition to looking to the genre for gruesome fun, I'm also trying to read it in order to understand human darkness. What makes a person desire violence in this way? I don't have answers. I I think it's tangled up in a snarl of bigotry, entitlement, and dehumanization in mental contortions that allow a man to see another as ants. 
As you interact with horror throughout this Halloween season, start thinking about this if you haven't already. And if you come to any conclusions, or if you just want to chat, let's chat. We're at Radio Drama on Twitter. I'm interested to know what you think. Folks, I hope you have enjoyed this, the first entry in our 2017 Spooptober series of horror and more We hope to scare as well as delight. There's enough RDR in the archives to keep you up all night. I guess I'm Vincent Price now. Let's do this. I'm running with it. On our website, radiodramarevival.com, we have years of archives for you and y- your mom. With ghosts and ghouls and other such spirits, I'm told even zombies make an appearance. The two pieces you heard in both their renditions were initially brought to us via submissions. So if you have a play that you want us to hear, just send it on over and uh, bring on the fear. And now, some spooky credits. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger, whose music can be found on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux, who is a werewolf. Ooh. Eli McElveen is our interviews producer. And a vampire? Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. They are goblins. I am good at this. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge, who is a demon sorcerer. These lies will get scarier throughout the month of October. Stay tuned. I'm your USDA utility grade go-host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.